Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rouse. This past week was Nurses Week, and so in honor of that, I thought we would talk about one of the most famous ones in history, Florence Nightingale. She was certainly an impactful figure and led an interesting life. Let's get started. Like always, let's begin with some biographical information. Florence Nightingale was born May 12, 1820 in Florence, Italy. Now right there, we have two interesting facts about her. Nurses Week begins each year on May 6th, and ends on May 12th, Florence Nightingale's birthday. And her name is no coincidence either. She was named after her birth city. She came from a rich, upper-class British family and had a very comfortable childhood and was able to have a diverse and thorough classical education which was guided by her father. However, when she felt a calling by God to reduce human suffering and sought nursing training, her family thwarted her as they felt this was an inappropriate career for a woman of her stature. However, she was eventually able to get some rudimentary training in Germany, learning nursing basic skills, her first post in 1853, gained by her social connections, was as the superintendent of a place called, and I'm not making this up, the Institution for Sick Gentlewomen in Distressed Circumstances in London, England. Take that as you will. Nightingale developed a good reputation as Sidney Herbert, the Secretary of War for Britain, asked her to lead a group of nurses to care for British and Allied soldiers fighting in the Crimean War. She'd actually met and befriended Herbert in Rome in 1847, who'd been on his honeymoon. First, a few things about that war. It is pronounced Crimean, like Crimea River. And given its history, that may be appropriate. The Turkish Ottoman Empire declared war on Russia in October of 1853 over, what else, disputes over holy places in Jerusalem. Turkey's British and French allies got involved to try to block Russian expansion into Europe. Most of the war was fought on the Crimean Peninsula in Russia, which is a land bridge between the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. It is considered a pro-Russian part of Ukraine today, it hosts Russia's Black Sea Fleet and is formerly an autonomous region. That region has changed hands numerous times over the years and remains a contested region to this day. Final side note, the Yalta Conference was held there in the resort town of Yalta. This was in 1945 where Joseph Stalin, Franklin Roosevelt, and Winston Churchill met to determine the post-war division of Europe. Alright, back to our heroine. Nightingale arrived in Scutari, now called Uskudar, and apologies for pronunciation there, a town across the Bosporus Strait from Istanbul in Turkey, at the Barrack Hospital, which was the primary site for sick and wounded soldiers. This site was already infamous to the British public as a place where soldiers were treated by an incompetent and ineffective medical service, where basic supplies were lacking. Nightingale arrived on November 5, 1854, and five days after her arrival, injured soldiers from the Battle of Balaclava and the Battle of Inkerman arrived. A couple of quick notes on the history there. The Battle of Balaclava does in fact give the name to the item of clothing probably now best known as a disguise for criminals, as handmade ones were sent to protect British soldiers from a bitter cold. This battle was also the inspiration for Lord Tennyson's poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, an epic failure of communication leading to a slaughter of the British cavalry unit. Nightingale described the situation in the hospital as the kingdom of hell. More soldiers were dying from infections than from wounds sustained on the battlefield. Death rates in the Crimea were atrocious. One article shows the casualty rates for the major countries involved to be around 23% or more than 1 in 5. In the British Army, 21,827 soldiers died of 97,864 deployed, and of those, 17,225 died of infectious diseases representing 79% of the total, and 4,602 died of wounds or were killed in action. When she arrived at the hospital in Scutari, there were only 14 baths for 2,000 soldiers and bugs, lice, fleas, and rats infested the hospital. Intestinal infections were rampant. A quick note on the field surgeons there. They were able to do a credible job on amputations and debridement, 
especially with the introduction of chloroform around this time, although its use was controversial among the medical staff. If infection could be avoided by proper trauma management, the patient had a reasonable chance at survival. It was in fact the squalid conditions of the hospitals that would allow infection to breed and kill them off. So using funds from the London Times newspaper, which had been chronicling the horrible conditions to the point where the scandal threatened to topple the sitting government, she bought equipment, had soldiers' wives assist with laundry, organized the basic necessities like bathing, clean clothing, wound dressings, and adequate food for patients, and most importantly, established standards of nursing care. She introduced simple concepts like developing a system to receive and triage wounded soldiers, cleaning up the raw sewage and repairing latrines, isolating infectious patients, and keeping meticulous records. Many of these simple reforms were revolutionary at the time. Her belief that keeping patients well-fed, warm, comfortable, and clean would do more to cure them than many of the cures of the 19th century medicine. It was here where the Lady of the Lamp icon was born, and you may have heard of that. She was known to round on her patients at night, holding a lamp to inspect them, immortalized in a painting by Henrietta Ray, and I'll post that on Twitter. This phrase comes from a war report in the London Times. Quote, She is a ministering angel, without any exaggeration, in these hospitals, and as her slender form glides quietly along each corridor, every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her. When all the medical officers have retired for the night, and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate sick, she may be observed alone, with a little lamp in her hand, making her solitary rounds, end quote. And here's an account from a soldier. Quote, what a comfort it was to see her pass even. She would speak to one, nod and smile to many more, but she could not do it all, you know. We lay there by hundreds, but we could kiss her shadow as it fell and lay our heads on the pillow again content, end quote. So the improvement in mortality through 1855, which was her first full year there, was striking. January to March, there was a 33% mortality for admitted soldiers. April through June, it became 6%. July through September was 2%. Now, most sources acknowledge that this couldn't simply be due to improved nursing care, but it could be argued that the systemic improvements in hospital conditions instigated by Nightingale played a large part in improved survival. It should be noted that her reforms put her in conflict with a number of medical officers that she considered incompetent and who considered her a nuisance. She was quoted as saying, quote, the three things which all but destroyed the army in Crimea were ignorance, incapacity, and useless rules, end quote. But not all physicians were so stubborn, and many recognized her talents, making her one of only a few women permitted by army doctors to do wound care, as well as being involved in first aid and triage. After the war, she worked at formalizing nursing education, which led to the establishment of the first scientifically-based nursing school, called the Nightingale Training School of Nursing, opened in 1860 at the St. Thomas Hospital in London, England. Prior to her reforms, Nursing was considered a lowly profession, typically done by poor and elderly women, with a popular image of drunkenness, bad language, and a casual attitude towards patients. She wrote the text, Notes on Nursing, What It Is and What It Is Not, which served as the cornerstone for the curriculum at many nursing schools and has been in continuous publication since 1859. I looked on Amazon. It's there for the ordering. Nightingale dedicated the rest of her life to promoting and organizing the nursing profession, as well as campaigning to improve health standards. She was also influential in statistics and is credited with developing a form of the pie chart called the Polar Area Diagram, sometimes called the Nightingale-Rose Diagram, to illustrate seasonal sources of patient mortality in the military hospital. You've probably seen one of these and didn't even know it. I'll put hers up on Twitter. In September 1856, she met with Queen Victoria and Prince Albert to discuss the need for reform of the British military establishment. Nightingale kept meticulous records regarding the running of the Barrack Hospital, causes of illness and death, and the efficiency of the nursing and medical staffs and difficulties in procuring supplies. 
A Royal Commission was established which based its findings on the statistical data and analysis provided by Nightingale, and the result was a remarkable reform in the military medical and procurement systems. Now, Florence Nightingale never married or had children, dedicating herself wholly to her profession. She received awards and accolades too numerous to mention, and truly is the founder of modern nursing. It is amazing the influence a single individual can have on a profession. Many new graduating nurses take a version of the Florence Nightingale Pledge, which is the nursing version of the Hippocratic Oath. Florence Nightingale died August 13, 1910, in her home. She was 90 years old, but her legacy lives on. I've posted a short video on Facebook about her, and before we leave, I wanted to give a shout-out to the Florence Nightingale Museum at St. Thomas Hospital in London, England. Check out their website. They're also active on Twitter. And that wraps up another episode of Legends of Surgery, and I hope you enjoyed it. Next week is Victoria Day Long Weekend in Canada, or as we call it, May 2-4. So I'll be taking that week off, but I'll be back in two weeks to cover a topic that might be of interest to all those bibliophiles out there, the real-life surgeon who was the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. Now please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there. Follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends. Like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.